0: as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. WebmasterRadio.fm
1: presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. You'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. The 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman, of course. But we're talking coupons, specifically mobile coupons. Now, I've talked before about the power of a mobile. We know it keeps increasing almost every minute. And according to eMarketer, they recently sourced a Gray Stripe Inc. report this just this past February on the health and dating use of the iPhone and iPod Touch. I thought that was pretty on topic considering iPod has been around for a while. The I the iPod Touch has not been around that terribly long. According to Gray Stripe Inc., as told by eMarketer, 44% of women already use an iPhone behind men's usage of the same technology of about 56%. So we're a little bit behind women. Foresters looked into whether mobile coupons made sense in today's world, considering that not even 50% of women specifically use a, a smartphone. We know women are lured by coupons all the time, and the majority will give a new product to try just because they receive a coupon, whether it's in the mail, online, or in-store. So does it make sense for a mobile coupon? Is it gold to marketers? Well, according to Julie A. Ask for Forresters, maybe not so much. The real reason, of course, is mass. There's just not enough consumers out there using iPhones or downloading coupons off of them. In fact, only 3% of consumers have requested a coupon via cell phone and another 3% have only used a mobile coupon now the value of a promotion really drives the usage so the higher the value the more usage that makes a ton of sense right so the bottom line according to um, eMarketer is make those coupons easier to locate and, and that includes marketing them make your marketing really easy to find Now, you might not launch an entire ad campaign around this, around mobile coupons, but Julie Ask does recommend that advertisers begin planning for mobile couponing for 2011. It's only going to grow and grow and grow. So think about that, especially around your existing loyalty programs. Well, speaking of couponing and women, let's talk a little bit about our purse profile today. It's the Nicole Miller Networker. This is a woman in her late... 40s to 50s, self-employed. Maybe she owns a small to mid-sized company. She is working full-time, as you can imagine, pulling in about 60K or a little bit more a year. And she has children in high school and college. There's 1.5 million of these women around. Their attitudes are influenced by fashion. She's watching and reading uh, fashion magazines. She likes to keep up with the latest fashion She likes to stand out in a crowd. She considers herself ambitious and motivated. In fact, she's a workaholic. If you have your own business, you certainly know a lot about that. She wants to get at the very top of her career, and it's important that her family thinks that she's doing very well. She is a master juggler, and she says, you know what? If you don't succeed, just keep trying. She wants to take advantage of life. She really looks at how she spends her time, even more than how she spends her money, and she sees her job as a career. She values quality items and is open to trying new things. She's shopping at Nine West, Williams-Sonoma, Pier One, Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom's. She's driving a Cadillac, Toyota, Volvo, Lexus, or Lincoln. And she's purchasing Ann Taylor, Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, Liz Claiborne, and Chanel. So where can you find this Nicole Miller networker well she's reading magazines as we already said better homes and gardens in style first for women Martha Stewart living people architectural digest and money magazine she's watching cable like HBO HGTV Food Network CNN and Discovery Channel and of course she's online at MSN Yellow Pages iVillage Barnes and Noble eBay and Travelocity Well, my guest for today is Sally Hogshead. She's the author of a brand new book called Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Well, when we come back, you're going to find out what those seven triggers are, how you can identify your own seven triggers, or maybe your top two, and how to use them to your full advantage. And more importantly, perhaps, how not to let them become your Achilles heel. More on that when Purr Strings returns after the break. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping.
0: Purse strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Admedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. Admedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything Admedia can do for you today. Sign up at admedia.com. Admedia. Strong ROI made simple. Anyway, I ask.
1: That's right, ma'am. Anyway you ask. Let me
0: get this straight. If I wanted your CEO to deliver my check while juggling flaming machetes on the back of an Asian elephant, all I have to do is ask?
1: Correct. With In-Demand Affiliates, you can tell us exactly how you want your payouts, and we will deliver.
0: God, could you hold on for a second? Someone's at the door. Wow, you are not kidding. We are In-Demand. You can be, too. Sign up today at the letter Ndemandaffiliates.com.
1: BruceClay.com.
0: Please welcome your CEO coach. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. From funding to finances, set up to staffing, the CEO Coach will break down the art of business development from the ground up by one of the experts of online business growth, management and development. CEO Coach, Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back
1: with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back to Purse Strings. Joining me today is Sally Hawkshead, author of a brand new book called Fascinate Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Find out what they are and how you can identify your triggers. It's going to be an exciting conversation, I'm certain of it. Sally, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, thank you so much. I'm
1: so excited to have you. You know, I've read your book from cover to cover, and I have to say it is an
2: incredibly fascinating
1: book. I hate to use
2: the, the, the play on words, but it <laughs> oh, truly I'm is. I'm so was- glad you enjoyed it. I had so much fun writing this book and I and w- was there a certain part that when you when you read it your eyes lit up and you found yourself mulling it over especially?
1: Well, I thought what was most intriguing to me were the brands. You know, cuz I I work in public relations and I work in how to make brands fascinating. So mm-hmm. as I'm reading it, of course there's lots of application for just, you know, Myself personally, but how to really make your brand fascinating. Um, that to me was some real world applications that I absolutely enjoyed. And, um, you know, I knew I wanted to have you on the program before I even read the book. And then after I read the book, I'm like, oh, yes, absolutely. There's much you could share. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, well, and it is getting a lot of buzz. You know, I've, I've been seeing it written up here and there, and, um, you know, I know you've written other books. So I'm curious, what really motivated you to write this particular book?
2: You are in PR, and I'm in advertising, and a lot of your listeners are probably in marketing and or other fields where we're in the business of spreading a message. Maybe it's a message for a client, maybe it's in politics, or maybe we're just parents who need to get a message to our kids about cleaning up their room. Um, all of us need to find new ways of being able to spread our messages. And uh, I I wanted to be able to find what is it about certain messages that has them not just spread, but to get people to become fixated on them, almost obsessed with them or captivated with them. Why is it that some messages, they get under our skin and they make us want to talk about them, they make us want to change our behavior, they drive our decision-making, and most messages don't. And I, I, uh, I learned a great lesson in this when I, was, when I was growing up. When I was seven years old, just a little girl, I was a baby in my family by almost 10 years. And my older sister, Nancy, was the number one ranked swimmer in the whole world in her event. The number one swimmer. So you can imagine being seven That's years a old, lot of I was living in quite a long shadow. And uh, I had to find a way to make my message heard as a little girl, just to stand out in my own family. And then my brother got accepted into Harvard, which meant that I had a lot of work to do as a little girl to make sure that I didn't get lost in the shuffle. And I learned then that there are certain types of messages that break through and certain types that don't. And now, uh, several years later... I figured out that uh, I wanted to learn why is it that some of those messages can really make a difference and can really change behavior, and others don't.
1: Well, and it's and it's true. I mean, you you did. I know you shared in the book about that long shadow, and and yet you clearly conquered it. I mean, your life story is so fascinating. You know, winning such awards at such a a young young age, racking up all those copywriter awards, and I mean, clearly. I I, I don't think you were in the long shadow for very long at all, (laughs)
2: Sally. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I, I managed to get out eventually.
1: Oh, yeah. Not a problem. I I don't think it took you very long. Um, But clearly, you you did a bunch of research when you were preparing for the book. I mean, you had case studies uh, galore. You, You talked about fascinating people, fascinating brands. Can you talk a little bit about your research process?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, the research was incredible. The research went on for almost three years because I wanted to write a book that that tied together disciplines from history and neurology and anthropology so that I could really present a big idea, a big argument for why we do the things we do and why we become captivated by certain people or certain trends or ideas. And early on in my research, this was back in 2006, I found a piece of... um, of writing about how in the Salem witch trials, what they were being accused of wasn't exactly witchcraft. You know, we think of the Salem witch trials with uh, you know the dark, evil, scary battle of good versus evil. Well, it really wasn't about witchcraft, it was about fascination. That the, the first person who was put to death under the Salem witch trials had been accused of fascination, which was the power to irresistibly control somebody's behavior. That they, when you have the power to fascinate, the jury said, you you steal the ability of somebody to sanely choose what they want because the power of fascination is so involuntary and so irresistible. I thought, wow, what a great use of the word fascination. And so I began to research this. I went back looking in earliest Latin, and I found that um, the word fascination. It goes all the way back to the cradle of language, the beginning of, of the root of the word fascinare. It means to bewitch or spellbind. And from there, I began to realize that this word, this concept of fascination, spreads across all cultures and geographies. It's, it transcends gender and language, that if you go to every single continent throughout history, people describe the concept of an irresistible persuasion, and, uh, and that if you can channel that, it's the strongest power in the world. But if you can't, then it's something to be feared and respected. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And fear and respect come up a lot in the triggers that you talked about, actually. Um, you, I know you looked at how, you know, influence really does develop at its core. So how do you begin that influence? How do you expand that? And then kind of the patterns of response you talk about set off by these, quote unquote, fascination triggers, as you call them. You, can you talk a little bit about those triggers of fascination?
2: Oh, sure, yes. This is, it, it, this is something that I hit on as we, were, uh, as we were into our second year of research. I realized that if you look at all messages across time, all, every message, a political message or a romantic message or, or a Shakespearean play, any type of message, it can be distilled down into certain buckets or certain types of messages. And the, uh, in the end, I was able to distill it to seven types of messages, which I call triggers. The first one is power, and power is authority or command, like the way we pay attention to somebody in control, or that when, somebody, when somebody or something can control our behavior, anything like um, the, the security guy at the airport or a powerful company telling us which things to buy. The second one is lust, and lust is about experience and warmth and humanity and the draw that people and products and companies' ideas have to each other. It's about being craved. And so on from there. There are seven different triggers. The other five include mystique, prestige, alarm, vice, and trust. And every trigger has a different type of response. So if you elicit mystique, you'll draw people closer because they're curious. If you spark alarm, you'll push people into action because they become filled with a sense of urgency, like um, do your taxes or finish your homework or buy it now or only 10 left in stock. Those kinds of messages prompt us to behave very quickly. So each trigger is a different type of message and gets a different type of response and respond and, and works most effectively with a certain type of person or situation.
1: Well, I can tell you I we'll talk about my triggers a little bit later in the show so I don't give that away, but I will tell you I really wanted to have the trigger of mystique. I found that to be
2: so <laughs> exotic.
1: <laughs> of you know, course, I, I, I didn't very sexy have that
2: one trigger but, you know. because there's it's like it's like the whole principle behind lingerie: what you can't see is sometimes more intriguing than what you can see, and this applies to a lot of things. Like there are a lot of brands that use this principle of mystique by not giving some, not giving everything away. Like they, um, they might have a secret recipe. Like Colonel Sanders, KFC has eleven secret herbs and spices, or um, Rolling Rock beer. They, there's that. Cryptic little number 33 on the bottle and nobody knows exactly what it means. Or um, Pop Rocks. Some people say that there's an urban myth that if you drink it with Coke that you might explode. Um, there are all these brands that thrive on this urban legend. Um, Green M&M's or uh, Jägermeister has opiates in it. We don't know exactly if it's true. We almost want to believe that it is true even though we know it's not. And it makes us feel like we're part of a secret, like there's um, an undiscovered mystery that we want to solve the puzzle. And one of my favorite brands that uses Mystique is uh, a restaurant in Los Angeles named Crustacean. And um, at Crustacean, the specialty of the house is this wonderful garlic crab, these buttery noodles and delicious, salty, succulent, fresh crab. But this crab is prepared not just in the kitchen, But it is in a special area of the kitchen where only the blood family relative, it's called a kitchen in a kitchen, and you have to be a blood member of the family in order to get in. Now, aren't you curious to know what's inside the kitchen in a kitchen?
1: Of course. And you know, it could be absolutely nothing once you get in it, but it doesn't really matter, does it? It's The whole point is that you can't get in, so you have no way of knowing, and so what's in your imagination is probably so much more grandiose than reality.
2: Oh, of course, of course, but you know it's not even on the menu. Um, it doesn't say on the menu, uh, garlic crabs prepared in the kitchen within <laughs> a kitchen. It's just something that insiders know and everybody's curious about, and it, and it piques our interest. So it gives crustacean a sense of, of allure and intrigue that's, um, that, that wouldn't be possible with traditional advertising dollars. You can't buy that kind of PR because it's about uh, triggering mystique and drawing people closer into your brand.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's a drama. It's a story that you're weaving. Now, I know some of these triggers, there's some that are a little bit more common than others. And I would imagine that there's combination of triggers that you see showing up a little bit oh, more yeah. in people than others. Can you talk about those combinations and maybe the ones that are, are most effective when paired together?
2: A really effective, well, first of all, no trigger is better than another trigger. It just depends on the type of response that you want, because each trigger, like I said, has a very specific response. For example, the last trigger that I mentioned is the trust trigger. We all want trust. Trust is incredibly difficult to earn. It's very expensive because it takes a lot of focus over a long period of time with consistent behavior. But the reward, if you can earn the trust trigger, is loyalty, that people are loyal to you. They believe in you. They're comforted by you. They feel that you are secure and dependable and reliable. But trust is so difficult to earn and it's so easy to break that very few people or companies are able to authentically earn the trust trigger. Um, A combination that's really effective is the trust trigger plus the lust trigger. So um, because trust in and of itself can become a little bit stale, a little predictable, kind of ho-hum, like I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what the blue plate special is going to taste like. I know exactly what that little black dress that I've worn 100 times is going to look like and feel like if you take one trigger and you weave another trigger into it then you can make that trigger feel fresh and compelling and exciting so for example if you take this trust trigger the trigger that's used by big corporations and market leaders and um kellogg's uses the trust trigger by advertising the exact same way for decades um, but you add in the lust trigger you can start to bring in a cr- something that makes it feel more craveable more desirable more attractive So um, Steve Jobs has taken the lust trigger and used it exquisitely with the design of his products that we want to hold it. We want to hold an iPhone. We want to look at the iPad. We want to feel what an iPod feels like in its navigation Um, brands that use Lust have great design, they're experiential, they make us want to touch them and talk about them and look at them, soak them in with our eyes, almost like a feast. And so when you take triggers and you start to combine them, you don't have to rely on one trigger. Instead, you can weave together two of them to create a more compelling message. Another well, very I, effective. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Another no, effective just... combination that we see is the power prestige trigger. This trigger is very common among um, um, people in in high levels of an organization, like executive vice presidents or people at the C-suite. But the power trigger is about authority and control. The prestige trigger is about respect. And when you put the two of those together, it can be very compelling. It's the person at the front of the room that can command attention and respect. The downside, like any trigger, there are downsides. The downside of power and prestige is it can feel cold and alienating. It can be abrupt, and sometimes it doesn't have um, the warmth of humanity that's necessary in, um, in personal relationships and in many types of communication. So again, if we start to bring in a little bit of the lust trigger with um, eye contact and uh, warmer textures and a smile and body language, we can take the power prestige combination and start to make it feel more likable.
1: And that's exactly what I was going to say, Sally. I think that, um, as you alluded to, any of these triggers, while incredibly captivating and compelling on their own, could also, though, have a negative side to it. It's almost like your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. I would imagine your strongest trigger can also become your Achilles heel. We just need to be aware of that, correct? Correct.
2: We do right as with any strength. Say if you are um, if you're very very detail oriented, that could be an, that can be an incredible strength. But there are going to be times when you have to um, prioritize innovation over detail, or inspiration, or motivation, um, enthusiasm. Um, there, there's a time and a place for everything. And by once you understand which triggers you use in your personality and which you don't, you can start to see how you can play to your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. By tapping into other triggers that you may have within you. For example, um, a lot of people have um, vice. A vice is a very much a double-edged sword type of a trigger. In the positive sense, the vice trigger allows us to tweak the rules. you know, it's stepping your toe over the line. And that might mean eating an extra slice of cake or it might mean staying out a little bit too late, but it could also mean being an entrepreneur and rethinking a category and rethinking how a product line is usually presented, and you do it in a different way. The kind of brands that use Vice, they surprise us. Like Apple, I mentioned a minute ago. Virgin Airlines uses Vice brilliantly. When when a brand comes out and does something that makes us smile and laugh and say, I never thought about it like that before, they're using vice because they're taking the status quo and they're finding a a counterintuitive way of presenting it. But on the other hand, people who have vice as one of their primary triggers or brands with vice can be seen as erratic because we don't know what's going to come out of their mouth next. We don't know what they're going to do, so we feel like we can't necessarily rely on them. Have you ever had one of those friends that they're so creative and they're so passionate and you love that about them, but you never know if they're going to be on time? You never know what kind of mood they're going to be in or if they're going to date some crazy person or maybe sometimes they cross the line just a little bit too much for comfort. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Been there, had that. That's the vice trigger. Yeah. That's the vice trigger at play that it's, it's, if you are an innovator, a maverick, a challenger, a rabble rouser, uh, somebody with a really strong, passionate creative streak, you probably have vice as one of your primary triggers. Um, if you're the type of personality, on the other hand, who's very stable, very consistent, very reliable, um, detail-oriented, and um, and people people can count on you again and again and again to achieve the exact same type of result, you probably have the trust trigger as one of your primary ones, and you probably score very low on vice. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of triggers, when we come back, Sally, we are going to take a quick break, but I want to hear what your triggers are. You already know what my triggers are. We're going to talk about both and what it might mean uh, for both of us when we come back. Purse strings in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to, shopping.
0: Purse strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers.
2: Did you know?
0: 99 Designs is a leading marketplace for graphic design on the Internet.
2: Did you know?
0: 99 Designs connects you to a community of over 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you.
2: Did you know?
0: 99 Designs allows you to post projects for Lolo design, webpage design, t-shirt design, and more.
2: Did you know?
0: 99 Designs projects need an average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99 Designs. When designers compete, you win. Find out how The Jar Group can work for you at thejargroup.com. That's thejargroup.com. The Jar Group, online marketing with measurable results. It's time to start jamming and spamming again with the princes of PageRank, the heroes of HTML, the sultans of search, SEO rock stars. Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's
1: woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And we're back. Joining me today is Sally Hogshead, author of a brand new book called Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. And we've been spending quite a bit of time talking about the triggers Of uh, the seven, the seven triggers, what they are, um, how you know if you have them, and then what brands actually are truly captivating brands. And Sally, I I noticed as I was reading through your bio and all the other books that you've written, you seem quite fascinated by fascinating people and brands. Your (laughs) your two thousand and five book called Radical Careering: A Hundred Truths to Jumpstart Your Job, Your Career, and Your Life looked uh, looked at building a fascinating personal brand. You know, as you said, you've kind of been lured um, by fascination, I would imagine, over the course of the last several years.
2: I have, because it, it, being trained in advertising, I, I originally started as a writer, a copywriter, and then I became a, a creative director, and I owned my own agency. I, I began to see how we have this dizzying change that's going on in our environment that all of us are seeing every single day with the rise of what I call the ADD world, that it feels like everybody has ADD. Nobody has more than a few moments of time for attention. There was a study that was done recently by the BBC News that um, because of web browsing, our brains are, are literally rewiring to become uh, um, shorter and shorter in our attention span until now we 're down to the point of nine seconds for our attention span, which, which is the same as the attention span of a goldfish
1: which oh, that's that terrible communicating
2: it 's almost like we 're talking to goldfish, so we need to think about this in our messages so why is it why, it, why do goldfish? The metaphoric goldfish. Why does it pay attention to some messages and not to other messages? Why is it that some messages um, make us want to vote for a certain person or advocate for a certain uh, brand or company or tell our friends about it? Why is it that with our kids, there are some things that we tell them, stick with them for the rest of their lives, and other things seem to get swept under the bed like the dirty socks? And this is what I set out to study, and I, I did um, a national study, a, a qualitative study, talking with um, with people in person, on the phone, online, in a, in a piece of research that was done with a company named Deputy Research in Portland with a woman named Linda Jo Zerba, and we talked to people about what fascinates you, why do you become captivated by certain brands and not others, how do you respond when you're under the spell of a brand, almost like when we talked about the Salem witch trials at the beginning of our discussion, it's that feeling of being bewitched by uh, a song that you get stuck in your head and you can't seem to get it out of your head. Or there's a, you'll meet a certain person at a cocktail party and somehow they intrigue you to the point that you're, you're, you can remember everything they said. Or for me, it's with with, uh, with, with a new idea at work when I get totally um, immersed in it, or when I'm with my kids and I can't even hear the phone ring because I'm so focused on, on the, the, every little detail of what they're doing. That's the feeling of fascination. And it's, it's, it's different than marketing. It's different than PR, all the other traditional forms of communication. And that's what I wanted to study and explain and explore and um, help people master with this book, Fascinate.
1: Well, and we don't have enough time to answer this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How does how does one's brand become fascinating? How do you know if you have a fascinating brand?
2: Well, there's a, a list in the book called the gold hallmarks of a fascinating brand. And you can go down this checklist of six different criteria that will tell you exactly how fascinating you are. For example, if you provoke strong and immediate emotional reactions like uh, Harley-Davidson or Grey Goose, um, if you create advocates that people rally around you and want to be part of the brand, then you know you're fascinating. But probably the best, uh, the, the best way to evaluate your level of fascination is this F-score personality test that I developed. That it's, uh, it's the fascination score, your F-score. It tells you exactly which triggers you use in your own personality when you're persuading others. As we know, there are seven triggers in our personalities, and um, yours, I believe, your primary triggers, are power and alarm. Um, And the test is located uh, on my website at sallyhogshead.com slash score as in fascination score. And by taking this, this test of 28 questions, you can, um, you, you can find out which triggers you're using to influence. Somebody with a combination of power and alarm is going to be uh, strong and bold, but at the same time very aware of what's happening in the room around, very sensitive to cues from other people, and to have a really strong sense of boundaries and um, being very respectful to other people in terms of, of uh, not stepping on toes. Um, now, if I remember correctly, your dormant trigger, the one that you use the least of the seven triggers, is, um, is vice, right? That's right. I have no vice, apparently. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not you, using that creativity enough. Well, it's, vice is something that you could tap into if you wanted to, and the test, as you know, the test explains how to do that. But people who are low on vice, they tend to um, not get an adrenaline rush from breaking the rules instead they like to earn more trust they like to be counted upon and they they tend to not have a rebellious streak they don't they they don't try to um um ad- tweak authority just for the sake of of um of being naughty instead they tend to be very steadfast and can be counted on in on almost any situation yeah boring but true i'm afraid sally yes <laughs> it's not boring at all think about it there are a lot of people that we count on to um to provide consistency if you if you had Vice is one of your primary triggers, then um, a few things might happen on your show. Number one, be, be, your guests might not be as comfortable with you because they wouldn't be quite as sure what you were going to do next. Your reputation wouldn't be quite as solid because um, there w- could be a sense that uh, people wouldn't be able to predict what you would do next in your show or in your career. You might not be so great at scheduling and the production of your show. And you, it's possible that uh, you would rely more on shock value or more on reinventing your format constantly rather than um, finding what works for you and then becoming um, powerful at that. Right. Well, that, that is a positive way to look at it. But clearly, as you say a, a little bit earlier, you know,
1: there is an opportunity to take a little bit of that maybe dormant trigger and and consider using it. If, if nothing else, it kind of shakes things up a little bit.
2: Yeah, the point, the point is not to um, see a dormant trigger as something that you're bad at. The point is to say you have access to this trigger because we're all born with all seven triggers. We're born with a complete set of triggers. And over our lives, our, our talents and our natural strengths, uh, become um, stronger in some areas than others, but you can always go to your dormant trigger and tap into it as you needed to. For example, if you were going out with with your girlfriends and maybe it was one of them had a, it was their birthday and you wanted to surprise her, you might put together a fabulous surprise um, that she would have no idea, maybe organizing, um, organizing a, um, some kind of a, a, her, her favorite dish or, or you might um, pick a type of, of play or concert that nobody would have expected or you might um, come up with a, a wonderful rhyme or a toast For her. In doing that, if that's not what you would normally do, you'd be using the vice trigger. You'd be surprising people and causing them to think in an untraditional way about you, your message, and your friend's birthday. Yeah, great, great example, Sally. Well, and and I do want
1: to invite everyone to go on and take that F, um, the, uh, get the F score because F-score, it is a, right. a great, easy, easy to do, doesn't take a lot of time, really great results, and they can access it at at your website as you as you mentioned, SallyHogshead.com, and I think um, you, I know you can access it from the main page, but there's also a direct link if you want to remind people of that one more time.
2: Sure. Yeah, it's SallyHogshead.com/f score as in fascination score it only takes about five minutes and the results are free
1: yep great great test great book sally thanks so much for being on and thanks so much for being such a fascinating guest
2: oh wonderful thank you so much for having me on i appreciate you reading the book
1: you bet, and I want everybody else out there to read the book, too. You can um, go on, you can get it at Amazon, you can get mm-hmm. it at a local bookstore, um, and if, you know, after you've read the book, you're going to want to be captivated, you want to go back, you're going to want to read Sally's hog blog as well and follow her. There's mm-hmm. lots of great insights that Sally can share with you, so check her out, sallyhogshead.com, get that F score, and, and go get the book. So thanks to Sally, thanks to George, my producer, for another great show, and join me another time next week. Week right here on Purse Strings at 3 o'clock. I'll be speaking with Joseph Jaffe. Now, Joseph is the uh, interrupter, the chief interrupter, I love that title, at Crayon, uh, a strategic counseling firm, and he's authored a book called Flip the Funnel. Now, Flip the Funnel looks at corporate strategy of how you engage consumers who already know about us and not spend a ton of our time and energy recruiting those who've never heard of our products and services. So join me next week right here at 3 o'clock Eastern Time for my talk with Joseph Jaffe. Until then, make it a great one.